0: You know, guys, you're quite right.
1: You're listening to the news on RTHK.
0: Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Spending like drunken sailors. That was the line from traders when looking at Amazon's latest earnings report. The company announced thin profits on strong revenues, but spent a lot and a lot in China. It was a massive day of earnings reports with Microsoft, Baidu, Amazon, Starbucks and others. All reporting after the closing bell. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, check this
2: out we will continue to intensely be focused on two things, rock-solid execution and pivoting the company towards the future. We will continue to push hard and move quickly, and you will see the proof of that month after month in the products and services we build for the mobile-first, cloud-first world. What you can expect of Microsoft is courage in the face of reality. We will approach our future with a challenger mindset we will be bolder in our, in, our, in our innovation. We will be accountable to our customers, partners, and shareholders.
0: Okay, some bad audio there. Sorry about that. But swag. When's the last time you got swag from Microsoft, that Satya Nadella there, the CEO of Microsoft? On the earnings call after the report, Steve Ballmer, the former CEO, never took part in those calls. So anyway, we'll get to the earnings from all these companies in just a few moments. And in some other headlines, the United States accuses Russia of subverting Ukraine's sovereignty. The feds want $13 billion from Bank of America in a mortgage probe. They got about the same amount from J.P. Morgan. The plot thickens at China Resources, and U.S. Durable Goods orders beat estimates.
3: Yeah, and we've got uh, good news on the durable goods front. Better than expected, 2.6% increase for the bunch of March. Economists had thought we might get 2%. On an ex-transportation basis, leave out the cars and the airplanes, we're up 2%. And capital goods spending, non-defense ex-aircraft, this is the proxy economists look at for business spending as a whole, up 2.2% as well. On a three-month average annualized basis, 3.1%, and
0: that is close to the strongest of the year. So, durable goods order is pretty solid. Uh, that's a decent economic report, and it seems to augur well for corporate spending. In our featured segments this morning, we'll be speaking about the state of China's electric car market with John Jullins of Strategy and We'll also be speaking with Andrew Sullivan of Maybank Kimeng Securities about regional markets. And we'll get to the latest on the leadership shakeup at Manchester United following the sacking of David Moyes as manager. Let's take a quick peek here at Asian markets uh, as they open trading for the day. The Nikkei down 31 points, a fifth of a percent, and the Kospi is a little bit lower in Seoul. The dollar is trading at 102.30 Japanese yen, so that's the dollar a little weaker against the yen. The euro at 1.383 U.S. dollars, that's the euro a little stronger against the greenback. The Australian dollar, 92.67 cents, and the pound, 13 Hong Kong dollars and three cents. So the earnings brigade, Microsoft reporting earnings and revenue that fell from a year ago, but beat expectations pretty handily. The company posted earnings of 68 cents a share compared to estimates of 63. Revenue was 20.5 billion compared to estimates of 20.39 billion. Here's Satya Nadella.
2: Today's results demonstrate the breadth and strength of our overall business. We saw strong momentum in cloud services. Our commercial cloud business more than doubled year over year with Office 365 and Azure both performing extremely well. Business customers continue to make Windows their overwhelming platform of choice with solid growth both in Windows Pro and Windows Volume licensing revenues. We saw continued improvement in search with our U.S. search share growing to 18.6% and search revenue increasing by 38%.
0: So they were quite pleased with their earnings. Elsewhere, Baidu, China's largest search company, came out with uh, beating estimates uh, on first quarter earnings. Uh, The stock up about 5% in after-hours trade. The company said advertisers lifted spending to try to get to mobile users. Net income at Baidu was up 24%. Baidu competes with Alibaba and Tencent for China's growing number of internet users. Insurance company Aetna's earnings were also so very strong. Here's CEO Mark Bertolini.
4: Well, I think we executed across all fronts. We had growth across all lines of business. We managed our costs to a level um, that was appropriate for the year. And we continue to integrate Coventry, an acquisition that we did last year for $5.7 billion.
0: Now the drunken sailor thing. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos is spending on growth as fast as he generates new revenue. Amazon is the world's largest online retailer. It said sales were up 23 percent, but spending was up 23 percent as well. Mr. Bezos is pouring cash into his business at the expense of profits. Doesn't mean they lost money. They actually had net income. It was 108 million dollars, and that was up from 82 million one year ago. But Amazon has has been increasing spending and investment in China by a lot. It has added what they call fulfillment centers and uh, added retail to make sure that they have stock for customers. Overall, U.S. shares were slightly higher, but it was a cautious day. The S&P 500 just up three points at 1878. The Dow unchanged at 16,501. More now from Mike McKee.
3: We're starting to see companies maybe spend again, and this was the last month of the third quarter, always strongest. We may have more trouble in April for durable goods, but still, we're going in the right direction. Jobless claims, on the other hand, not quite as good, 329000 a little bit of an increase from the very low level we saw last week, but this was the Easter week. Labor Department has trouble seasonally adjusting, and basically they're saying, don't pay a whole lot of attention to this. We'll get a much cleaner read as the rest of April goes on.
0: There were a whole lot of other earnings. I'll tell you about Las Vegas Sands. They reported first quarter results beating estimates. They reported 97 cents a share of profit, and analysts have been looking for 94. And Bank of China expanded lending margins, expanded more overseas credit in the first quarter, and that helped it offset higher default charges. Too many earnings to tell you about. Let's welcome Andrew Sullivan now, Maybank Kimang Securities. Andrew, good morning. Good morning, bro. So we've had a lot of earnings to look at, uh, both in the United States and, and here. Uh, how do they strike you at the moment?
1: Well, I think it's a classic case of uh, the the companies that meet the expectations are uh, being well-received, but any faltering, I think, is uh, people are being very uh, hard on the companies and selling the stocks.
0: Yes, so that makes it kind of a stock picker's uh, market, Um, and you saw that with Facebook. Although the earnings were good, it it, it was sold down a little bit today, but Apple was up 8.5%, so there is some money to be made out there.
1: Oh, I think I think that's definitely the case. As as is always the way, and I think actually we're also seeing that people are uh, having a little bit more confidence in the U.S. Certainly, there's more money going back there, uh, and people are moving maybe into the you know the small medium uh, size stocks again, uh, as some of the larger ones seem to uh, maybe be overvalued.
0: Do you think that the big flush of technology stocks and uh, and the Macau gaming stocks is that more or less over, or does it continue?
1: I think it, it, it's going to be very selective. I think there's a lot of concerns about some of the valuations for the tech stocks. Um, with the Macau names, you know, we're still seeing these you know, people going to Macau and spending money, and there's still growth there. And, okay, whilst the growth may be slowing, it is still growing, and that's, I think, the key driver there. Uh, and as long as that continues, then people will be uh, you know, happy to invest.
0: The sell-off in those shares, uh, did you see it as some kind of canary in the coal mine? I was reading a report from Nomura yesterday. They said no. They didn't think so because a lot of other things, a lot of other high-risk areas like high-yield didn't sell off as well. What's your view?
1: Well, I think, I mean, I think investors at the moment are, are turning a little bit more cautious. We have to remember that markets are still trading at highs, and you know, people are worried that the valuations don't justify the the levels at which we're trading so so people are are possibly taking some money off the table but they don't want to be out of the game and the, and the trouble i think for a lot of investors is the fact that you know, you, you look at Macau stocks or tech stocks, which have done very well, and you decide that maybe they are approaching high valuations and, and the risk is increasing. But then the question is, where do you put your money instead? And I think that's the dilemma for a lot of investors at the moment. And hence, you know, we aren't seeing the sell offs that maybe you would normally expect just because there aren't the alternatives for people to turn to.
0: Where do you think people should be putting new money?
1: Well I think I think it's back as you were saying earlier it's back to a stock specific uh, and and researching names that have got you know good brands or good businesses uh, and and degrees of transparency I mean I've always liked things like you know Tektronix and VTech but you've got to start looking for for new names I think um, and, and possibly things like uh, China Animal Healthcare, which is doing the vaccine, vaccine for livestock in China. This is going to be a crucial area going forward. You know, we, we had the uh, the pig scare last year. So, you know, farmers are going to be more concerned about these sort of things. So you've got to look at, you know, maybe slightly uh, different stocks. Uh, and that's going to require people doing a bit more research as well.
0: But doesn't it seem of late, Andrew, that, um, you know, a stock it goes up for a few days, um, it starts to show a little momentum. And then as soon as you try to join in, uh, it, it gets shellacked. Uh, it seems like here of late, uh, almost nothing has really been working in the Hong Kong and China markets.
1: Well, I, I think the key thing here is is the fact, again, it's, you know, I think for most investors, it, it's not a matter of looking for stocks that uh, are going to double or triple in two or three days. But it's looking at businesses that are going to are sound businesses where you've got you know, good management uh, and names that are going to do well over the next 12 months to 18 months, and that's really where people should be looking.
0: And how do you feel about the performance of the economy? Uh, it does seem that a lot of people are worried about the debt load in China. I've heard a, a lot of analysts say, though, that um, the banks' their bad loan uh, portfolio has just gone from uh, infinitesimally small to, you know, to, to recognizable that it. It could be a problem, but it's certainly no worse than banks in Europe and the United States.
1: Well, I think this has always been been the, the knowledge of, of people that have followed the markets closely that uh, you know, maybe some of the numbers being reported out of the Chinese banks haven't been totally accurate because they've had a tendency to roll over these loans rather than put them down as bad loans or non-performing loans.
0: So are you saying uh, that you think it's a lot worse than the story's been told?
1: Well. I think it's always been worse than, than, than has been sort of reported by the banks themselves. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be a huge problem. I think we're going to see more defaults. I think the Chinese government has uh, is, is been uh, warning investors in some respects that this is going to happen. And it's something that's got to be cleaned up and, and come to the surface. But as you say, I mean, relative, you know, I think, uh, you know, we're going to see more defaults maybe, you know, almost on a weekly basis. But relative to the defaults that you see in Europe or in the U.S., that's still probably quite a small number.
0: So it's not exactly the case that you wouldn't touch the banks with a barge pole?
1: No, I mean, I think you you look at the Bank of China results, you know, they've still got very solid numbers there. They're growing their business still. uh, uh, And that's a positive move. And our analyst continues to like that stock. But maybe some of the smaller regional banks one has to be more concerned about.
0: And what about Europe? Do you like Europe?
1: Well, I think Europe faces its own problems. I think the, the overhang from Ukraine is, is going to be a big issue there for, and possibly a heightening issue in, in the weeks to come. But you know, and, and the other concern, as, as Draghi mentioned last night, was the fact that uh, the high exchange rate and euro strength is, is is a concern for the recovery. You know, Germany is doing well, but. And, and some of the smaller ones, some of the Portuguese, the, the, the Greeces and places like that are doing better. But uh, it's still going to be a very slow recovery, I think. Uh, but I think it is on the right path.
0: Okay, Andrew, I'll let you go. Thanks very much for joining us here on Money for Nothing. And that is Andrew Sullivan. He's a regular on the program, an old friend, uh, and he is the sales director at Maybank, Kim Eng Securities. So this is Money for Nothing. The time now is 17 minutes after 8. Yeah, that's your money for nothing here on Radio 3. FTSE 100 up 28 points overnight. It was actually a kind of day of rebounding in terms of European uh, bourses. Uh, The DAX was up four points. The Cacarant in Paris is up 28 points at 44.79. So Europe uh, finding a little bit of a bid. Well, electric cars are taking center stage at the auto show in Beijing. In spite of the hype, sales of e-cars or hybrid gas electric vehicles haven't really been very impressive. One reason is that the infrastructure necessary to power the vehicles isn't really there. And we've got John Jellens, a partner of its Strategy and joining us here on the line. Good morning, John. Uh,
4: good morning. How do you pronounce uh, Thanks for inviting me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great to have you on the program. How do you pronounce that? Is Strategy and then an and sign? How do you it's say the name strat- of you?
4: strategy end. formerly booze and company until a few weeks ago but now uh, strategy
0: end. okay strategy ends. so when i said it earlier i think people thought well what comes next and nothing came next <laughs> anyway all right so we've got yeah that's good um byd earnings uh you know these companies don't seem to be selling very many electric cars despite um you know a lot of promise well
4: no, that's that's correct and i think There are a couple of reasons for that. Um, And I think first and foremost, it's simply that that, uh, the technology isn't just ready yet and that has to do with the energy density of a battery so even advanced lithium-ion batteries which is what they're using for these vehicles the energy density is much lower than that of petroleum Um, and that has implications in the sense that it makes an uh, electric vehicle an EV, uh, much more expensive Uh, you can run into packaging problems because you need a big a big battery which is not necessarily an issue when you're designing a bus but can be a real challenge when you're doing that with a passenger car uh, it creates range problems, so the range uh, is, is more limited than uh, with a gasoline-powered vehicle. It's more variable. Uh, it creates uh, issues around convenience, so the recharging time and, and where to recharge and when to recharge. And are so
0: there are there enough charging stations around, in your view?
4: Uh, no, not yet, and so that that's uh, that's been one of the challenges. Uh, so I'm based in Shanghai, for example, and um, we have maybe you know somewhere around ten, twelve or so uh, charging stations here. And that's despite the uh, the government, of course, asking, and uh, so Beijing asking the electric utilities to invest in the infrastructure. And so State Grid, for example, had a target for 2015 of about 4,000. Uh, but I think in actuality, uh, only about 400 or so have been, uh, have been built so far.
0: Now I had heard that BYD had excellent technology; that it was even more advanced than Tesla. And Tesla, of course, has gotten a, an awful lot of press uh, uh, with Elon Musk, uh, you know, being such a visionary uh, CEO. And they, I guess, have been uh, debuting in China this week. Uh, is BYD, in your view, um, you know, is it is it a company whose um, time will come? It just hasn't come yet.
4: Um, I think that the challenge for the automotive industry in general and the challenge for Tesla over time, the challenge for EYD, is uh, it's not so much can you build an $118,000 EV like Tesla and be successful and sell that profitably. Uh, The issue is can you do that maybe with a $20,000 EV? And that's where the problem comes in. And so far, no one's really been able to do that. So 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 they're
0: just too expensive
4: expensive. Uh, if you look at BYD, a uh, BYD E6, uh, the electric uh, vehicle version of that uh, of that vehicle is twice as much as the gasoline-powered version.
0: But still, um, 7,000 units sold doesn't sound all that bad. Uh, now, I'm, I'm not on top of all the numbers uh, that, that we're seeing. I mean, it's a huge country, but uh, is, it, um, is it just... That it takes some time, and once perhaps uh, you know these these battery factories get built, and they're able to uh, streamline this a bit, that uh, they'll be able to bring the cost down.
4: No, probably probably not. I mean, uh, not with uh, the, the current technology and the current uh, path of that technology down the cost curve. And it's maybe useful to to remember that uh, this is a a discussion we've had for over a hundred years. If you go to the U.S. at the, the start of the industry there. Around 1900, uh, electric vehicles outsold uh, internal combustion engines and steam. Steam was still in the in the picture then as well, and then early in, in the 1900s, uh, the internal combustion engines of gasoline-powered vehicles won the battle within the space of four to five years or so and that was for all the same reasons that we still have today and that is that you know what a customer wants at least in the in the the volume segment is a cheap safe convenient way of personal transport uh, at any time at a moment's notice for themselves for friends with cargo without cargo and so on and uh, for the moment at least the 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 gasoline powered uh, car is still be the best answer to that now over time eventually we may see the electrification of the uh, of the automotive powertrain but uh, for for now, uh, that is probably still fairly far off. With Tesla, of course, being a very interesting wild card.
0: Mm, yeah. So, if you see somebody driving a Tesla right now, um, is it just a vanity purchase?
4: Well, I think certainly if you're paying, uh, you know, well north of hundred thousand dollars for an automobile, then you're clearly not doing that just to go from A to B. And so, it's not just about the car itself, um, but also about um, you know, the emotional and self-expressive value, so to speak, of of owning that vehicle. So there's a big look-at-me factor in that. And these are customers who uh, want the latest, also want something new, want something different, uh, and are able to afford it. And so another challenge that that Tesla, at least within that segment, will have is that this will uh, probably be a very transient segment. So it may very well be a Tesla today, Ferrari tomorrow kind of segment. And so the challenge for Tesla will be and I think for the industry in general will be can can Tesla go beyond being a, a successful manufacturer in a premium niche and can it go down market and become a major automaker in the volume segment and so So what's the excited- answer do
0: you, do you think they will?
4: Uh, they will certainly try, and um, and uh, like I said, they're an interesting wildcard uh, because th- this is the first time that we've had a Silicon Valley-based car company, uh, that we've had someone like an Elon Musk, so certainly a very ambitious uh, individual, very capable individual with a very different approach, and I think uh, if, we, if we are going to see a breakthrough, uh, in electric vehicles and a breakthrough that we haven't seen over the last 100 years or so it will have to come most likely from, uh, from this type of company and this type of outsider well what, what, what is the numbers- what
0: is the center of his different approach that you just mentioned
4: well, I think one, um, I mean, first, of course, it's quite an achievement, I think, for a newcomer to the business. And it's, it's been, been quite stunning, I think, for people in the industry to see a newcomer build a car that is this good in terms of uh, you know, fit and finish, acceleration, ride, handling, design, and so on. Uh, the Model S is a very, very good car. Uh, other it, things it, that, it's uh, it's an it's awesome
0: doing. car. I mean, it's, it's really better than good. It's an awesome car, but at $118,000, how many people can afford it?
4: Yeah, exactly. So, in in that sense, it doesn't really tell us that much about the potential future of the electric vehicle market. It tells us something about Tesla as a company uh, but not about uh, about the industry. Okay. Now, things that Tesla is doing that are very interesting is uh, they're about to make a major investment in battery production. Um, yeah,
0: the gigafactory.
4: Exactly, the bigger yeah. factory. Now, okay. that is a very interesting thing that we'll all be watching very closely because uh, that potentially could change the uh, the cost picture.
0: All right, we'll discuss that on another day. Uh, Mr. Jellens thank you. John Jellens, partner at Strategy &... All right. So, call it the price of failure. The ouster of David Moyes as manager of Manchester United comes after the football club failed to qualify for the Champions League for the first time in 19 years. And we're joined by Danny Hicks, editor of Sports Direct at AFP. Good morning, Barry. Danny. Good morning. Um, so, quite an interesting story. The stock uh, spiked a little bit. Actually, yeah. actually, the stock hasn't done that badly in the last um, two months, anyway. But, but I guess you know that's uh, that's that's a, a well, different the, story. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I mean, he got fired, and he got fired because uh, nowadays you have to perform in a much shorter time frame than perhaps in the past.
5: Yeah, and with a club like Manchester United, um, everybody's comparing it to, you know, when Alex Ferguson was appointed in 1986, and it took three and a half years for him to win a trophy, and why wasn't Moyes given time? These are very, very different years and and financial circumstances we live in now, you know, and uh, and if you look into the finances of the club, it becomes very, very clear why they had to act uh, quickly once it, it, there was no sign of an upturn in the results on the pitch. And what's been really a miserable season for for a team that this time last year, remember, were champions of the Premier League. So what's wrong with the finances? Well, the, what's wrong with the finances? Not a lot at the moment. However, you know, they can probably uh, quite easily sustain one year out of Europe if... Uh, in terms of being out of Europe, it's going to cost them fifteen to twenty million dollars uh, in terms of income next season. But they have revenues around six hundred million dollars. They've got net income of one hundred and seventy million dollars. They can withstand that. The problem comes if it becomes more than one season because uh, sponsors will start to shy away. They're in the, in the process at the moment of nego- renegotiating their kit deal with Nike, which runs out in twenty fifteen. That's been stalled. Nike would want to see signs that there's going to be an improvement before they come in with something like $100 million to sponsor a kit for the next five years. So,
0: so it's all to blame on the sponsors. It, well, uh, it's not really. to blame on the sponsors. Not, not to blame, but if you're talking about million-dollar deals from Malaysian companies, from yeah. American companies, from companies all over the world, they want to see results. You
5: need to win to show good results. You need to win because they've got a brand to protect. The brand Manchester United is world famous. It's been the most successful brand in football for the last 20-odd years. They need to have that clout in the transfer market and in the corporate market and in the sponsorship market. And like I say, this season, if it's a blip, if it's just a bump in the road, they can withstand that. But if it goes on for longer than that, and, and what is basically a blip becomes a decline, then they start to suffer financially. And remember, the Glazers who own Manchester United are highly leveraged in the way they bought the club. There's something like still $700 million of debt that they have to finance. And if the finances start to shrink because of failure on the pitch then they're in big trouble. And that's why that, they acted now. Is it possible
0: the club does even worse? I mean, wasn't there a story years and years ago, decades ago, Leeds United,
5: the manager gets sacked Absolutely. And,
0: and the team gets even...
5: Uh, <laughs> yeah, having won what was the, the last season of the old First Division uh, in 1992, Leeds United then went into into a decline. They did, they did reach Champions League semi-finals at one stage and then within, within a couple of years after that were basically a gone bust. But that's not going to happen to Manchester United because, the, the, you know, what they... They have is they have, se- they have a 76,000 seat of stadium which they're going to fill but you know it's interesting the timing of it because this time of year is the time of year that the, the season ticket renewal letters go out to fans and uh, and they w- would want to see signs that the club is doing something about what has been so, a really poor season on the pitch and so will that's they move, why they've acted
0: now Will they move quickly to appoint a new manager?
5: Uh, they will try to move quickly because what happened last year was when they, they appointed Moyes there was a period of time when there was, uh, so Alex Ferguson was leaving and Moyes didn't come in until the end of June, and they kind of lost out in the transfer market. The big money moves, Manchester City acted, Chelsea acted, other teams acted around them, Liverpool acted, and they've overtaken them because they don't want that to happen again. Now, one of the names that's been punted around is Louis van Gaal uh, to be manager, but I can't see that happening because he at the moment is the coach of Holland and they've got, he's got a World Cup to think about. He would not be available till after the World Cup. That's going to be too late for Manchester United. What
0: about a player-coach on a longer basis? So Ryan Giggs takes over until a permanent replacement comes in. Could that last a while?
5: Uh, I think that will last till the end of the season and that's it and we're only talking three weeks because they need a tried, tested, big-name manager. They they took a punt with Moyes on, on a, on a, on a recommendation by Sir Alex Ferguson but he had not won a trophy with Everton for all his uh, supposed success there. He had not managed at the top level and managing at the top level these big four or five clubs as sort of the top ten clubs in Europe is a whole different ball game and uh, you know they He's paid the price for their failure this season and a failure to act in the transfer market last season and get rid of some of those old ageing stars that are on big wage bills. Uh, they dare not repeat that mistake again. They dare not fail again next year.
0: All right, Danny, we got to go. Thanks very much for joining us and filling us in. Danny Hicks, editor of Sports Direct. At AFP. Well, this is Money for Nothing. It's time to wrap up the program for the day today. We've got a big back chat coming up right after the news. Markets not really doing much this morning, just a little bit lower. Gold at $1,290.50, so moving down and looking at oil prices now $110 a barrel. Pretty glad you joined us today. Do so every day. Might help you out a bit. And we can tell you about the weather, mainly cloudy with some light rain expected, fog as well, maximum temperature, 25 degrees, kind of sticky out there. The conditions going forward, brighter over the weekend with coastal fog in the morning and in the evening. Temperatures today ranging from about 20 to 25. The news is coming up next. The news with Samantha Butler. The American Secretary of State John Kerry has castigated Russia for stoking violence in eastern Ukraine and failing to meet its commitments under the Geneva Agreement signed a week ago. He said U.S. intelligence was confident that Russian agents were promoting the violence and Russian security forces were on the ground in Ukraine. He accused Moscow of choosing an illegitimate course of violence to try and sabotage the democratic process. The world has rightly judged that Prime Minister Yatsenyuk and the government of Ukraine are working in good faith. And the world, sadly, has rightly judged that Russia has put its faith in distraction, deception and destabilization. The Israeli government has suspended peace talks with the Palestinians after the reconciliation of rival Palestinian factions.